139 years ago, this church was dedicated by the Bishop of Gloucester. In a great ceremony with the great and the good present, plus a lot of others of whom nobody had heard of and whose names were not recorded. But who but you are to be the ones, but they, the ones who were not recorded, were going to be the history of this place, just as you and I are part of the next chapter of the living history. And our names may not be recorded, but these days, if you're on the electoral roll, they probably are, actually. We were built by public subscription, initially to be the Rakes Memorial Church. But not enough money came in. Common story, even in these days and then. And after a rethink, we became St. Paul's. In those days, we were barely part of the city of Gloucester, cut off by the railway line to the docks, but in an area of increased housing driven by the docks and by the railway bringing trade in, and hence workers were needed. St. James in Upton Street had been built in 1841 to minister to this influx of workers, and we followed in 1883. By 1910, church life was clearly prosperous with a choir of over 30 garden parties, church fates, and housing slowly covering the area around the church. By 1900, only Western Road existed. There was no New Street and no St. Paul's Road and very few houses on Stroud Road. If you look at the map at the back there of the dead in the First World War, it's very clear uh, that by that time, there was extensive housing over that we now know of, actually. But concentrating on the past, on our wonderful tradition and our heritage has got its dangers. It's easy to dwell in a rose-tinted past and wish we could get back to how wonderful it was in the Reverend X's time, whatever that might be, when everything we thought seemed to have worked. The American, late American church historian Yaroslav Pelikan has coined, coined a very memorable phrase that tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. It's worth pondering that sentence a bit with its distinction between tradition and traditionalism. Christianity is a historical faith. Faith is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts has a number of accounts of confessions of faith by Stephen, by Paul more than once, and Peter, rooted in God's dealings with the Jewish people, with prophets sent and ignored, the law delivered and broken, and God's great plan from the beginning to deliver a work of grace through his Son, to take us into adoption as daughters and sons of God, in corporate with Jesus Christ. Our living faith is built on the lives and experience of those who've gone before us. We celebrate major saints' days, and it's also right that we celebrate more modern saints, the men and women who've gone before us, some of whom we knew, and have left us testaments to their faith, both in the buildings left behind and in lives that have been changed. These modern as well as ancient saints press forward not knowing exactly where their path would lead, only the ultimate goal, the kingdom of God. Each generation was given a slightly different vision for their part of the journey, as we are given for ours. And we'll return to this a little later. 
But traditionalism is a different animal altogether. It can only be invoked by the living, and it always has to look backwards. It can perhaps be illustrated by this reworking of one of the most famous passages from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which, although it's been written by an Anglo-Catholic priest from a very different perspective and a very different church in mind from the priest's point of view, it struck a few chords, so I want to share it with you. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I enjoy the beauty of holiness in the glories of Anglo-Catholicism, but my building remains locked, that building's a Congregationalist chapel, not a parish church. If I listen to the music of Mozart, Handel, and Palestrina, but close my ears to the gospel, I'm an aesthete and not a Christian. If I only want songs by Matt Redmond, Stuart Townend, etc., but I've lost sight of the purpose of worship. If I travel 10, 20, or 30 miles to reach the church at which I feel at home, but do not take my church and its prayer home with me, I'm a spiritual tourist. If I can swing the incense with all the precision of a guardsman drilling, but let that become my priority, it's not God I'm serving at this altar. If I pride myself that my sermons are filled with Greek, history, and obscure bits of Hebrew, but I don't give a helping hand to those who think the Christian faith is unbelievable, then my intellectual life has stuck fast. If I can fill my pews with visitors, but have no organized system of welcome and greeting to all who arrive, then I've become a tourist attraction myself. If I take comfort in increasing numbers in an age of declining churches, but have no space for children, then my church has no future. If I proclaim boldly from the gospel book the words of Christ's love and yet look down on the needy in my community, the elderly, the homeless, the, and the addicted at my gate, I've not truly let those words into my heart. If I give myself weekly to God for two whole hours, throw myself with enthusiasm into the liturgy, the singing, the preaching, and the scriptures, but no consequence of this flows into the rest of my life, then I'm deaf to the call of Christ. For that call is patient and persistent. It's not strident or overbearing. It doesn't ask that which we're unable to give. It is gentle, insistent, wheedling, creeping beneath our defences and our securities, challenging our confidence in that which we've known and which we're desperate to preserve. It's encouraging and daring, pressing us softly but firmly to go the extra mile, to try the new thing, to open our hearts, our minds, our doors, to all in the radical love of God and to the self-sacrifice which roots our lives in the life of the Trinity. And there is the difference between tradition and traditionalism. Encouraging and daring, pressing us softly but firmly to go the extra mile, to try the new thing, to open our hearts, our minds, our doors to all the radical love of God. There is the slightly different vision for our part of the journey, our part of the tradition. For the mission of God has a church in the world. And I do not believe 
that God has not provided the means for his church to fulfill God's mission. If we're having problems doing so, maybe we ought to check if we're using the means that God has provided. Our biblical readings today remind us that buildings, even church buildings, shouldn't dominate our thinking or our attention, however beautiful or historic they turn out to be. In John's account of the cleansing of the temple, there's an additional element to the account. Here we're not simply told of Jesus sweeping all the temples away, the tables away, and the people changing money from Roman to Jewish coinage in order that they pilgrims can use Jewish money to buy the animals to be offered for sacrifice. Nor does Jesus simply condemn animal sacrifice as not the way to bring people into communion with Almighty God. Here we're told that what really matters is not the temple and all its false animal sacrifice, but the body of Jesus himself that will be crucified and buried and will rise from the dead on the third day. It's not surprising his audience at the time couldn't get their mind around this, and neither could the disciples. It was only after he was raised from the dead that they got an inkling of what it was about. Because for a Jew of that era, the temple was where God was to be found. It was that most holy of places. And all this was to go. Not long after Jesus spoke this, the temple was razed to the ground by Roman troops. Devastating to the Jewish faith. But an act of destruction to the traditional to enable the tradition to move on. For we are being built spiritually into a dwelling place for God, as Paul wrote in that second lesson. He refers to the body of Christ. The church and all its members has not been has been built into a spiritual temple, a holy temple, a temple not made with hands, a powerful and beautiful image. For God dwells in us. He may be found in all of his creation, as was always the plan. So we're called and enabled to be holy, as the saints of God are holy. We find within ourselves the holiness of the living God dwelling in us, God inhabits our lives, transforms us into the very stuff of heaven, into the immortal life, the eternal life that we're destined to enjoy beyond this one. He assures us that we're not to think of ourselves as strangers or aliens, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are already here on earth, citizens of heaven, as Paul describes us, with our eternal destiny assured part of God's intimate family, his household. What could be more beautiful, more wonderful than this glorious reality that we are the body of Christ? His church, built on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus Christ as his cornerstone. We're going to sing at the end of this service Marty Hogan's hymn, All Are Welcome where we commit ourselves to build a house where love can dwell. And as we move on into the next 139 years, or whatever it might be, we reflect on the past, build on our tradition, and commit ourselves to the future. Whatever it may be, as a church where all are welcome. So in his name, we go and we offer that welcome that Christ has offered to us. 
if you have to hand, the, can we have on the overhead projector our prayer, please? <coughs> Easier than a, you probably haven't got it to hand, some of you. Thank you, Linda. Now, as we sit, let us pray together. Holy God, hear our prayer for St. Paul and St. Stephen's Church. Breathe your life into us and renew us. Pour your truth into us that we may grow strong and secure. May our hearts beat with love and compassion for the community in which we live. May we be a place and a people of hope with doors, hearts and minds open to those around us. Guide us as we seek your will in this time of vacancy. Show us the path to follow to take us forward. Form us into the church you need us to be for this time and place. May our lives and this part of Gloucester be transformed by the power of your love. Amen.